Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master's Studio. Talking about tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today we are talking about cutscenes, monologuing, how you can use them to add flavor to your stories and spice up your games. Here in the studio, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional DM. And Ed. Sure, we can record the podcast, and then I'll take over the world! Cutscenes and monologuing, making everyone feel wonderful. So we touched briefly on talking about cutscenes and monologuing when we were doing the how-to horror episode. We had a couple fans that asked for a little more detail on what it is, how we can use it, how you can fit it into the games, and make it something that is a little more robust than what we had where we just kind of touched on it as part of adding ambiance to a horror we're going to talk a little more detail about those and how you can use them so well ed's busy trying to figure out how to take over the world with a podcast <laughs> jared has actually successfully used the uh, cutscenes in a couple of his games um so why don't you kick us off with uh with the basics okay so the basics of your cutscene is basically describing to the players at the table something that is happening elsewhere, outside the view or perspective or uh, senses of the the players, slash, or I should say more the outside the perspective of the characters. Um, it's a great tool for adding suspense, adding pressure. Um, basically what you're doing is you're letting them know what's going on somewhere else. Think of your typical movie. Uh, it's very commonly used, again, in horror movies, like it was previously mentioned in our horror, um, how-to horror, and also mysteries. But basically where something's happening on camera, but the main characters or the ca your, your, the cast of the movie is actually not around to witness it. It's kind of, you know, it's showing you, the viewer, what's going on, so you have more information than the cast or the, you know, the, the characters do. And it's the same concept, you know, that you're using at the table, so you're giving the players more knowledge than their characters have, so you have to, you know, it's one of those tools you want to kind of use, I wouldn't say sparingly, but, you know, like, intelligently, because, uh, again, you're giving extra information to your players, but you don't have to necessarily reveal a lot um, to the players. You, just because you're showing them the bad guy doesn't mean you're telling them who the bad guy is. Maybe the bad guy's cloaked in shadow. You know, I've done, you know, again, where I've successfully used cutscenes in the past, I showed them the murderer, you know, that's going around town, but I didn't show them the face. I didn't, you know, I never revealed his identity. I never really gave them any real clues, you know, that would be able to help them figure out who the murderer is so much as I was adding suspense to the game because they saw this murderer taunting his current you know, victim that he had already kidnapped and was preparing to murder yet another person. So seeing that on screen, on camera, you know, if you were watching a movie, you'd be like, oh my God, you know, he's got a knife to this chick's you know, throat, bad things are about to happen, and then we cut back to the, you know, the, the cast or the players or the, you know, the, the characters. What are you going to do? Like, oh my God, like, I now know that there's real pressure, there's a real, you know, there's some real... Um, 
you know, you have cause and effect in play. You know, I know that there's a real timeline here. I know that there's real stakes. You know, instead of just saying, okay, well, this chick was, you know, uh, you know, so and so was kidnapped. Okay, whatever. We'll right. try to find the murderer, I guess. Right. But then all of a sudden, you have this elaborate cutscene that you described to them, where like the murderer again, his face cloaked in shadow, wearing black gloves and in black robe, is circling this chair where this poor young helpless you know girl is tied to a chair with a, you know him rubbing the blade around on her skin, you know around her throat. That's okay. Now like the stakes are real. We need to save this chick. You know what I mean? Like it's it's putting a whole your players in a whole different mind frame and getting your players more immersed into, you know, the the situation, which is always something that you're trying very hard as a GM in most situations to try to accomplish. And cutscenes are a great way to do that. Yeah. Uh, one way, uh, um, say for an investigation-style game, you could almost set it up sort of like Silence of the Lambs, where you get all of these scenes with uh, Buffalo Bill doing his thing, and you could just dis- you could make up these few scenes and like occasionally just describe it to your players like this is what's happening, you know, and uh, oh, OK, so I stopped the action to describe the scene to you. I give you guys a minute. That's what's happening, by the way. OK, go ahead and continue your investigation, mm-hmm. you know, and then the next game session, you know, they get to a stopping point. Oh, yeah, by the way, I get another scene for you guys. There's the scene that's going on. And it's, you know, all this you know, weird, twisted and sometimes sick stuff. Okay, go ahead with your investigation. And remember the whole the whole through Silence of the Lambs, the whole course of that movie is basically about finding one girl. Right. So in in that instance, it works really well, I would think. Another way I've seen it work is uh, in video games. Immediately, Mass Effect Two comes to mind. There's a scene where uh, there's a planet getting attacked by the collectors, the little uh, collector drones that they have, and they show this entire scene of this village getting wiped out by these things. And that's the mission you're about to go on. So you have to go figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're showing you a powerful force that can't be stopped even by a military presence. And now you're going to go down there. You know, it's a way to kind of heighten the tension, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, another nice use for cutscenes actually is relaying information um, that's not always necessarily happening in the present. I, I think the most useful way to use cutscenes, or like one of the, my preferred methods for cutscenes, is like, well, this is what's happening now, but it's happening somewhere else. Right. Again, it helps you know add suspense. It helps you know, heighten you know the the intensity, the the pressure, put you know, or puts more pressure on the players. You know, it really just ups the stakes. But another thing you can do, like um, very common cutscenes in like Final Fantasy XI, which was an online MMO. A lot of the cutscenes would be like you enter this place and it just triggers this cutscene of like something that happened like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're getting filled in on backlog storyline. You know what I mean? But you can use it in a lot of different situations. You know, in tabletop role playing games, like maybe you enter a place and maybe you have a vision. Maybe you right. know you have uh, like, or, or maybe you know nightmares. Um, there's lots of different like you know situations like that. But also it could be. You open this book, and instead of me just saying, okay, well, the book's about blah, 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 I could be like, all right, guys, sit back, relax. I'm going to read you this paragraph about this little story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is what is actually in the book. Or maybe the book draws you in, you know, like you go on a little daydream, like while you're reading this book, and you kind of envision this happening. Or someone's telling you a story. You know what I mean? You can, again, it could be cutscenes can technically be in the present. Um, again, I think of cutscenes mostly being stuff that's happening. Um, on camera, but away from the character. But you can also use it as, you know, again, like, you know, the descriptive narrative or the monologuing, which is another part of, you know, the, the what this podcast is about, right. where you have basically prepared text. 
So, okay, well, what's I'm going to read the journal of this, you know, this girl. And you could either have that journal already printed out, which I've done as a prop, you know, or you could say, let me read you this story. And you read this little story, and it's kind of like the same as a cutscene. It's taking the players and giving them a bunch of information and kind of, right. you know, whisking them off into this other place. And then, boom, now you're back into the present. Right. Yeah, and as anyone who's played any, you know, modern video games knows, sometimes in the the video game they'll refer to some some things as cutscenes as when your character can't take an action and you're basically conversing with someone, that's going to be the monologue part of what we're talking about today. That's yeah. right now we're talking about your the character specifically not there. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, basically again, yeah. You know, like with your typical video game like if you're watching like a cinematic basically, that's like that's a cutscene for the most part. You know right. I mean? Your character can't act. They're just you're you're you as the player are watching something happen on camera. Yeah, I think there's there's another useful bit with the cutscenes that we haven't touched on yet, um, and it's to provide information to the players. But at the time of the cutscene, they don't realize the relevance of the information, mm-hmm. and then later they get additional information that then theoretically will make the players go oh wait this was was that going on you know you've seen that uh, especially in movies and games when for example they'll cut back to something that happened earlier right. that is relevant to what's going on now mm-hmm. you when you saw it earlier you're just like okay why did they bother showing us that yeah, the but then when you cutscene. then when you see the, as the flashback you're like yeah. oh that's what's going on yeah uh one in TV, one that I saw that I liked, uh, you may remember this, is uh, in Breaking Bad, I think it's in the very beginning of season two, they show this teddy bear in a pool, and that's all they show you. and they, But they do it in such a dramatic way. No, then they show, I think, two thing, two uh, dudes taking bodies away from, uh, from uh, an area nearby. And it's just this thing, and it's done in black and white, except for the teddy bear, and you're like, what's going on with this? And then, like, every episode or two after that, they give you another, you know, 20 seconds at most, just shot of that. Maybe 30 seconds. And you never, you know, you have no idea what's going on with this thing, but it's kind of compelling you. Well, that's kind of the idea of what you want to do with your cutscenes is give the, give your players something that they have no idea what's going on with this. You know, what it does this stuff mean? And then eventually there's a reveal and that if done well, can be, you know, one of the most memorable parts of the game. Yeah, and um, some examples of other cutscenes just to try to help, you know, push the listener's uh, imagination along or get, get them some ideas. Um, another way you can use cutscenes, again, for, you know, this is out of the, the character's viewpoint, but uh, what was it, an example of a cutscene that I, I was reading where basically the party had been captured by like let's say like a vampire or whatever mm-hmm. they're stuck in a castle they're all tied up the villain looks like they're about to win the villain's going on his big old monologue before he kills the party and then you do a cutscene of like the nearby village and all of them like basically raising up you know torches and pitchforks and like we're gonna go freaking burn the castle down we're gonna get the vampire you know like the you know the party went in there to try to stop them you know for us you know like we shouldn't let them fight our battles you know they have the big speech about you know you know we should help the party blah 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 and you know it's one of those like technically the party thinks oh we're screwed great awesome but now the players know like there's hope 
Right. You know, hope is on the way. Let's see what happens. You know, and then you know, again, you cuts back to the vampire, and he's monologuing his, you know, his you know, uh, dramatic butt off. And okay, I'm gonna drink your blood. Blah 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 blah. You'll never feel pain like this. And then, you know, blah 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 blah. And cut back to the villagers, and now they're outside the door. You know, or they're approaching the castle, and then all of a sudden it cuts back to the characters. And now the characters here. <laughs> the front door like okay they're here okay thank god right right so you know less dramatic use of the cut scene but you know it can be one of those where like you can give hope to the player you know in that situation now you know you're basically using that to give hope to the player like to let them know like help is on the way you know maybe you can do something to help you know the situation along yourself but like just don't sit here and think that i'm spouting off a huge monologue before i tpk the party yeah. okay <laughs> Uh, another thing you could do with cutscenes, um, and this is a little bit different, you know, you, you, depending on the group, you could you could attempt this, but uh, if you're trying to get over like a monster, you can come up with a basic description of your monster, and then as your characters are going to investigate it, create like some NPCs, and when you do the cutscene, hand out you know a card with stats on it and say, okay, this is who you are right now. And actually have them play through the cutscene, and the 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 entire cutscene is them, you know, being chased by this monster, you know, or what, or you know, or or whatever the cutscene ends up being, you know, maybe it's an action sort of deal or or, or whatever it is. But uh, the the idea is you give them a character to play, and so they start to play it, and then you basically kill them. And that's, that's the whole idea. Now, yeah. for a moment there, they're going to get slightly attached to that. Not big time. But later on, when you describe the monster again and they're in a similar setting, now they know, oh, crap. You know, especially if you give th- those cards that you hand out have a similar AC or similar hit points or similar or attack or better than what you have. And now you're describing the same thing and you're in the same spot and all the players go, well, crap, these other four or five guys who were better than us couldn't take it. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, that could definitely add some tension there. I've never really, I've always thought about doing that. I've never never done that before, but I think that might be a, a fun tool to do. But you got to do, you got to do your preparation beforehand. Yeah, I think personally, I think cutscenes are are kind of, you re, it requires some prep in my opinion. Like not many people, at least I know myself, I'm not one of those like people that can really just spout out a really articulate cutscene off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I might be able to give you, you know, I can give you uh, off the top of my head, you know, environments and kind of, you know, get, add some description, but in order for like, in my opinion, a really good quality cutscene, you want to be very articulate and you also want to be very to the point. You don't want to spend a lot of time you know, uh, you, you don't want to waste a lot of words trying to articulate yourself and, you know, get the point across. Because the trick with cutscenes is they should be short. Like, you can use them fairly often, but they should be short. I mean, they should typically just be, like, you know, about a paragraph. You know what I mean? For yeah. your, your most of your cutscenes. You know, okay. Like, an, another cutscene that I used in one of my games, whereas um, there's a horde of zombies coming. Well, technically Zeke's, but, you know, basically zombies were coming and they were in the town and they got distracted. They were hired to go cut off the zombie horde that was supposed to be coming to this town, but they got distracted with the murder, which is, you know, from the same game that I mentioned before. So they get distracted with the murder in town and they kind of not necessarily forget about the zombie horde that's coming, but like, well, we got bigger fish to fry. We're dealing with this murder mystery going on over here. So then I give this little cutscene of like, well, since you didn't go cut off the zombie horde, the zombie horde's now like three miles outside of town. You don't know, your characters don't know this, 
but I'm letting you as a player know this. So I, you know, this quick little paragraph of, you know, describing zombies running through trees and, you know, through this forest and then all of a sudden like stopping at the edge of this cliff and looking down over this stream and then they see this town at the end of the, you know, next to the stream at the, you know, off in the distance, you know, roughly like maybe like five miles ish away. And all of a sudden, you know, and then the zombie, you know, the zombie horde starts again running, you know, down the stream and towards the town. All of a sudden, all the players are like, oh, crap. Zombies are coming. <laughs> of course, the characters don't know this. You know what I mean? They just continue on their little way. But huge heightened, you know, amount of pressure just like just dumped on all the players right there. Like we're in the middle of trying to solve this mystery, and now there's a huge zombie horde running at us. It's probably going to be here in about an hour. Right. Good times. <laughs> Any thoughts, Jerry? Well, I think that the cutscenes are a very useful tool. I think you have to be. Have kind of an awareness with your players as well. You know, this comes back to trusting and talking to your players that, hey, I'm going to give you some stuff that is there so that you are aware of it, but your character isn't. And you need to make sure that those that your players have that that distinction. You can't you, they can't like look at the cutscene and try to analyze and pick that apart for clues, even if you tried to disguise. Right. You know, identity. They can't just do that because realistically, between you know their characters and their players, there's different information there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to have a group that you can trust to keep that separate, but still kind of have the emotion or um, portray. So they can keep that separate, but still have the mood or the environment that you're trying to portray carry over between the two. Yeah. yeah, and again, and that's why I think the the most use or the most important function of the cutscene is, you know, enhancing mood, enhancing you know emotions, you know, again, like upping you know the stakes, up, you know, adding that pressure onto the player. Because again, you're like you said, it's you know, you don't want to be giving away anything in the cutscene. You don't want your players to get used to trying to analyze the cutscene. You know, you're really not trying to give away a lot of information so much as you're trying to give them enough information to heighten, you know, the mood of or the ambience of what's going on. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's still you know even all that being said, it's still very important that the you know you maintain the whole player knowledge versus character knowledge, and then you have a group of players that you you trust and that that, that trust you as well. You know, I mean, going back to the trust that we mentioned all the time, very important. And we may not have brought it up in an episode or two, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's bringing up a lot now, right? Uh, no, another good thing, too, is keeping your players on track. Uh, sometimes, depending on what you're uh, running, uh, you you may be able to get away with not having the villain show up for three, four, five sessions, you know. But that doesn't mean the villain isn't out there doing something and scheming. Exactly. And the main plot is still based around what this villain is doing, even though the players have found themselves doing something else. You know, maybe it's a fantasy setting and they found a dungeon they want to go delve, you know, or it's a, it's a, it's a superhero deal and there's like, uh, you know, some mystical races showed up that they have to deal with, you know, you know, either fend off or try to convince not to not to harm humans or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you can still do that cutscene to have the villain in their lair or their element succeeding at something, and the players go, "Uh oh, what did they just get? Yeah. What do they have now? You know, yeah. oh, this this evil dude's trying to become a lich. Okay, oh great, he just found a phylactery. Oh good, good, good." Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I think that's another you know another very useful function of the cutscene is just reminding the players that the world doesn't revolve around them. 
Right. You know, just because they're not dealing with the situation doesn't mean that that situation isn't still moving forward, which is the primary use that I used in that game where I had proposed or, or, or set up several different obstacles or um, encounters and, and, and things for this party to deal with. Again, we had uh, a murderer running around loose in town. We got this horde of zombies that are, you know, on their way to town. We had some other stuff going on in the town, and there's no point in getting into all of it. But basically, there was like three, four different things going on. And no matter what path they chose, I kept reminding them, like, hey, those other paths are still in motion. And the paths were altered if the players were on it or interacting with it. Mm -hmm. So the ones that the players choose to ignore go maybe in a direction the players aren't so happy with, but they had to make a decision. They have to choose yeah. one at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to put a lot of pressure on your uh, on your uh, players on your party, you know, to uh, offer them multiple different situations, and then to use cutscenes and other techniques to remind them that you're down going down path B, you're affecting path B, but because you're affecting path B, you're not affecting path A or path C, but those are still moving forward. Or maybe the way that you're choosing to affect path B is slightly affecting path C, but not affecting path A at all. Right. You know what I mean? And showing them the repercussions or lack, you know, or you know the you know the lack of you know repercussions, so to speak, you know, of their choices. Again, a very useful tool for like horror games, mystery games, anywhere, anything that where you want to put a lot of pressure on the players. You know, like that's a really good technique. You know, both using cutscenes and also offering multiple paths. You can put a lot of stress on your players, which is, I think, you know, in certain kind of games is good because sometimes players just kind of run through games willy-nilly, chopping up whatever they feel like chopping up, but no, you know, seemingly no consequences. They do whatever they want, and that's fine in a lot of games, but in other games, might might not be what you're going for. Right. I think it would also be a really good tool, uh, less for 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 mood style, but for the genre of the the heroics, like mm-hmm. superhero type games, specifically because in general, you know, your villain has the plot, and uh, TV tropes uses the line "you can't thwart stage one," because the villain does stage one and then stage two, and after stage three, they take over the world, but the heroes will never be able to stop it until stage three is five minutes from completion. Mm. So right, you can right. use that to build it up as it goes along. So as it builds up, and then they get in, and now everything's down to the wire. We need to take care of it. And that's just very much a convention of the genre that helps fit with these cutscenes very well. Yeah, and that works especially well if you're, unless you're dealing with one of those villains that isn't your typical comic book villain, and set the trap off five minutes before they started talking. <laughs> that's uh. Thirty-five minutes ago. Was it thirty-five? Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, at, le- at least in the book, the line was, do you think I would have told you if there was the slightest chance of you affecting it? I did it 35 minutes ago. So I quoted it wrong, but... Uh, and we're going to avoid telling you what we just spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. Or read it yet, shame on you. Um, yeah, certainly cutscenes, a good tool. Monologuing. I know we want to touch on that. Yep, monologuing, um, I think, is a very different beast, but also very much connected. Um, It's very connected because at the same time, you as a DM are presenting, in a way, a large dump of information to your players. Um, You've got 
a speech that you're giving theoretically without being interrupted, although a right. lot of players will be making cr cracks and comments and Star Wars and Monty Python references. Yeah. Um, but you're providing them with information. The big difference between the monologuing and the cutscenes, though, is monologuing is going to be something that the players are present for. Right. The characters are there. They do see it. And it is much more of, I'm just talking, 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 talking. Uh, they're usually, I think, less sinister than cutscenes because you can also have an extended monologue of setting up what's going to be happening. Yeah. This is the situation. This is what's going on. This is what we need your help with. Go here, do this, do that. Save the cheerleader, save the world. Yeah. And in some instances, it doesn't even have to be... We're calling it monologuing for the for the purposes of the episode, but it could also still be dialogue. You might have a big chunk of things to say, and then one of the players might say something. You can respond to that, you know, but keep going. Um, one thing you're going to run into a lot with these, though, is like if it's a villain doing monologuing, your players are almost always going to want to get the jump on the villain. So if you do this there's going to be some pushback. Someone somewhere is going to push back and say, okay, I go after him. And you have to be as a GM like, no, no, we're out of initiative order at this point. This is a scene, you know, so you really have to kind of, if you really want to do that villain monologue or even just the interaction with the villain and the players, because you want this to, you want them to meet this guy again a couple of times down the road and, and build, you know, a rapport with them so that it means something later when they, when they defeat the villain then that's something you have to nope you know i know you want to but nope i don't i don't necessarily think that you should be no no um however i think it does come down to knowing your players if they're going to do something like that i think you should expect and anticipate it yeah. um maybe have oh you're talking to an illusion and so you want to attack me okay your sword passes through are you done i wanted to talk to you um, you can also have the character show up, and it's an unwinnable situation. Yes, you can charge in, but this guy's speaking to you from the head of an army, and you are five guys. Right. Um, there are different options, but I think as a DM, you should be ready and prepared for the player to, for a player to maybe try to to cheap shot See, someone it if it's a villain. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely on this, but I, I, the reason I say no, uh, or I said no and started with that is because I've had players in my group who just wouldn't stop. And it's one of those things where it's like, dude, you're going up against, you know, my CR20 dragon, you're like fourth level. Like, I'm telling you to stop. He's doing a cutscene, you know. And yeah, there are, I mean, there are some times where you want to, you know, be like, okay, so he bites your head off. And anyone else? Um, yeah. but some of those situations can be unwinnable because, yeah, maybe your villain can take out the player or the player character, but then the player gets mad, Yeah, you know? So it's just one of those things where if you know you have someone in your group who is going to make monologues difficult, you know, you just have to be ready for it. Maybe, like Jerry said, use some sort of uh, uh, trickery or deception um, or if it's worst case, you know, maybe you just got to tell them, Hey, no, you just don't do anything. We're do, we're doing this thing right now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, 99% of the time you're 
party is at least one person in your party is going to try to always get the jump on the villain it's very very rare that you can just like turn around and have a monologue without being prepared to deal with the, the party so i completely agree that you should just have some sort of trick up your sleeve i guess so to speak like you should have some way of allowing yourself to get that monologue if you're going to have a monologue make sure that you have a way of delivering the monologue. So, like, one big one would be, like, okay, so they walk into this room, they see the big, bad, nasty wizard, he's alone in the room, seems like an easy situation for them to pounce the wizard. They go to, you know, pounce the wizard, and boom, they hit a fort, like, you know, like a wall of force. You know what I mean? Like, they they didn't see it there the whole time. Guess what? There is something that you can't do anything about between you and him, so now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to say what I have to fucking say. You know, same kind of concept as the illusion that Jerry mentioned. That's another good tool. Um, or, you know, instead of being at the front of an army, he could be behind three layers of henchmen. So, like, you can try to get to me and you can fight. And the whole time that we're in combat, you're fighting my minions. I'm going to monologue. I'm going to monologue through the whole fight. Because you ain't getting to me. <laughs> right. Oh, it's you know. my turn? Well, speaking is a free action, so I will spend the next 30 seconds to deliver this paragraph I've written up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, just give them one paragraph around for the next five or six rounds, and boom, you unboringly got through a page and a half of monologue, and they had to sit there and listen to it. I'm actually reminded of a specific situation that came up uh, where I was in a game. The DM wanted to have their big villain do the monologue. Um, specifically, it was, I have brought you here, and now I'm going to tell you how what you have to do in order to get your freedom and go and leave this place. And one of the players wanted to attack, and you know the DM had difficulty dealing with it, but he kind of like kind of pushed through and did it. And we were talking after the game. He's like, "I don't know. I just I don't know how to handle that." And just in a stroke of inspiration, I said, "Well, what if instead, as soon as he disrespects the guy, he goes, well, I was going to tell you what you needed to do, but now I guess you're on your own to figure it out,' and mm-hmm. and ports out. Teach him a lesson. Yeah. Now you just." showed that player that because you jumped the gun and you jumped to attack, you lost something, that, that information that you otherwise would have gained that's going to probably, at some point down the road, you're going to be, gee, I wish we knew what we had to do there. Mm-hmm. But I, d- we didn't get that because I didn't, you know, hold my blade for two minutes and listen. Yeah. Another common one, too, is like, instead of them walking into a situation where they're of their own free will already capturing them before you even try to monologue you know like like look like perfect examples like look at movies like when do most monologues happen when the heroes are already captured Mm -hmm. you know like you're already in a jail cell you're already behind a you know a force field you're already in you know captured or shackled you already have been disarmed and have you know five of my henchmen surrounding each and every one of you you know with these pcs now above the pool full of sharks with freaking lasers on like their head. now freaking i have lasers. yeah now i'm able to spout off my monologue like that's usually when it happens in a movie like that's usually when the bad guy spouts off his whole like this is why i'm so great and how i'm gonna rule the world moment you're already incapacitated or you know or or restrained or what you're in a situation where you can't just act of your own free will or you have no shot in hell of doing anything about the situation you know again like i already triggered it 35 minutes ago we have this little stalemate in the middle of combat you know or maybe you let them freely engage them and you start just kicking the crap out of them don't kill them don't even incapacitate them just start kicking the crap out of them and then just like knock them back and be like all right look do you really want to keep this up okay well, this is what I have to say. See you, bye. You know what I mean? Like, 
you know your players, you know what you know they are willing to tolerate, but there's no reason that you don't have options. Like remember, you're the GM. You can make sharks fall out of the sky at will. You can do whatever you need to do. Wait, will these sharks have laser beams? Of course they'll have laser freaking like they gotta have a guiding system. <laughs> you actually gave me an idea for another kind of monologue cutscene combination that I might want to try at some point. The the classic where the villain takes over all the technology and their face shows up on every screen yeah. of like all the monitors and they deliver their monologue now and it's like they're not physically there and there's no way that you can really ignore them as they provide their ultimatum. And what's funny is that's kind of how I usually envision, like, the illusion trick. A lot of people envision the illusion trick of, as, like, almost like a hologram, like, in, you know, I'm in your presence. Oh, you thought I was real, I'm really a hologram slash illusion. I kind of envision, like, some, not everyone thinks of illusions on such a grand scale, but the whole, like, giant face popping up over the city. I've got your attention now, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm gonna spout off. Yeah, I'm gonna spout off whatever I feel like spouting off, and I dare you to try to do something about it because I'm a giant head. <laughs> Spell magic. <laughs> well, you don't get my message. Could have been important. But yeah, you know, you have the the whole uh, Jarrell head, like from Superman, just like popping up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, or like the magic mouth kind of thing, like what your, your character yeah. does a lot, you know, in the game that we're running right now. I mean, limited word usage, but there's no reason you can't like, oh my god, this giant boulder almost fell on me, uh, it's, and now it's talking to me. Weird. <laughs> Go no further, or my master will smite you. Who's your master? Oh my god, make another check. Oh, dodged out of the way of another boulder. <laughs> Labyrinth did a bit where they had the yeah. the statues that spoke and like, oh, no, 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 shut up. But it's been so long. Can't we say it oh, just once? Oh, it's been so long. Good movie. That's, yeah. And that's also, you know, kind of like the monologue cutscene because the players are traveling through the, or the, the party in this case being like Sarah and Hoggle are traveling through. They aren't really interacting with it. It doesn't really, it's, they don't have to overcome it. It's not an encounter. But it's still adding to the flavor, and and yeah. it fits in. So we talked a little bit about this. Um, we kind of touched on here and there through the course of, of the session. I just wanted to consolidate in a little more for you know for the genres and the usage. You know, it's got a lot of mileage for the horror and mystery, but as we kind of mentioned, you can use it in, in high fantasy and super heroics. And, really anywhere. Yeah. I can think of a thousand uses for comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Every time we bring up the how-to session, somebody has to mention comedy, and it's one of those ones that's just... it's seems like it should be a lot of fun, and it is just so tough. We will probably oh, yeah. be forced to touch on it at some point, though. True. Yeah. All right, well, back to uh, what we were talking about. Um, so we are just about wrapping up there. Um, but cutscenes and monologuing, options that you can use to force your players to experience your game world a little bit more, whether they want to or not. Um, thank you for joining us. If you have any comments or any any 
stories on how you've used cutscenes and monologues in your game to good effect, definitely feel free to share them. Also, if you have any questions on today's show or, or comments you'd like to share or topics you'd like us to cover in the future, and occasionally we've actually been answering some gaming-specific questions on how we'd handle things, definitely feel free to get in touch with us for that. We are available on Facebook. You can like, comment, subscribe to our pages, as well as on Twitter at GMS Studios, we have message boards available, GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com, and of course, we put up new episodes every week with more information about how you can help your games out with the information we got to share for you. Thank you for listening, and we will see you the next time that we're back here in the studio.